0: Hello and welcome to I Wish I Wrote That Song,
1: the podcast where we talk to songwriters and artists about themselves, songwriting and a
0: song they wish they wrote. They then play a cover of the song for us at the end of the episode. I'm Keith Wyatt and I'm David Glover. In this episode we spoke
1: to Tom Sanders from Teleman. We spoke to Tom from his writing room in his house in Hackney, London, about the challenges of turning post-lockdown, his approach to songwriting. How That Differs From Others He Has Worked With, and of course, the song He Wishes He Wrote, a song by Sia, originally
0: released in 2016. Head over to our website at IWishIWroteThatsong.co.uk for more episodes and Spotify playlists of the songs featured. Also, send us an email on hello at I I Or you can message us on Instagram to give us feedback, leave us suggestions for new episodes, and let us know the songs you wish you'd written. Welcome to I Wish I Wrote That Song with Tom Sanders. Hi Tom, how
2: you doing? Good, thank you. Thanks for having me. What are you up to today? I am going to do what I do every day and go into my studio and write songs and make music
1: amazing is this studio at home or
2: yeah it's it's a room in my house which is um dedicated to all things musical it's quite comfortable there's a sofa in there there's a piano it's got nice lighting which is important it's got a nice view of the garden and the surrounding hackney gardens and it's kind of a yeah i think i really like cozy places and i like being able to relax it's not like full of instruments, but it's got it's got everything I need. I don't have a drum kit, but I've got guitars, basses, pianos, drum machines. a couple of synths, and um, to be honest with you, I tend to just do more and more in the box these days. yeah, and I just always reach for my acoustic guitar I've got an a nylon a nylon string acoustic guitar, which I've had since I was about 14. It was given to me by my next-door neighbor when I was a kid. And I, I literally, this is not exaggeration, I play it every day and it's served me so well. It's, it's my, my go-to writing instrument, that and the piano. Yeah, and sometimes people come and, and write with me, like the boys from the band Hero and Pete come around quite often and we listen to music and we hang out and we make music. So yeah, it's kind of, it's more a writing room than a studio. And it's it's kind of really a hangout space as well.
1: That's good, it's good to have those kind of places where you can just chill, be creative, with no time constraints, no pressures and stuff like that, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think like when I go to studios um, or other people's writing spaces, like I'm much less much less interested in the instruments they've got and what DAW they're using than how it feels to be in there, you know?
1: Yeah, I've got a studio. I'm in. I'm in my studio now, and it's. It's. I've created a space that's, hopefully, people feel really comfortable in. It's not super clinical, but it's not super messy. It's just a nice, warm, comfortable, vibey place where you can feel free to make music and stuff.
2: Yeah, it's hard to make music when the vibes aren't right. You know. Yeah,
1: equipment's secondary to performance and comfort. comfort definitely, and
2: definitely you know if it's all dirty like i've been in some studios where it's just everything's just, just like covered in dust and yeah. all disorganized and on top of each other and it's really hard to, to to make music in that environment going off on on a tangent i think like it's hard to make music with with someone who also is not like a people person and they're not like they're not kind of uh making you feel comfortable or yeah I think like like the studio isn't about the instruments I think the producer isn't always necessarily about their technical skills it's more about how do they make you feel are you having a good time are you relaxed I think that's everything really it's, it's at least 50% I would say I, I agree yeah, yeah. I totally agree
0: and that comes Absolutely. through in the music, doesn't it? Come, you can hear that. You can hear albums that where people were relaxed and being creative and comfortable. And you hear the things where you feel like it's been a bit shoehorned into a final product with a lot of yeah. effort and not that, yeah. the natural feel to it. There, I
2: think there are exceptions to that. I mean, some records we've made, we had a really good time making them and we were probably too relaxed. <laughs> and uh we didn't really kind of, we weren't really keeping tabs on how things were going because we we're in such a good mood. We just assumed that everything was going to be peachy and it was all going to come out perfect because everyone's happy and everyone's into it and everyone's positive. Yeah, got, you have to strike a balance, didn't you? Yeah. Between like, this is serious. This is like, we, we can't fuck this up.
1: Yeah, you're um, a ship if you're producing or if you're in that role. And,
2: yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean you've also got to be careful like it's cuz you in a, a if you're in a band and you're in a studio you kind of are often lull, sort of lulled into a false sense of security that you're in safe hands and that somebody is doing the ship and and they know what they're doing and they're infallible and that is very often not the case at all and um yeah i've kind of learned i don't want to talk about like specific records i've made but i've definitely learned to like really uh really keep on top of stuff at every stage of the process and not assume that someone else is going to fix things and make it all sound fine
1: Working with the Hot Chip guys,
2: it was really, it was a really good experience. Yeah, right from the very beginning, they've got a really cool studio with yeah. um, with every synth you could think of, of really. was <laughs>
1: walls of synths.
2: Yeah, and lots of uh, lots of stuff that we didn't know how to use, um, like uh, modular stuff, you know. Yes. That's really like That's
1: just, yeah. You just look at it and you're blinded by it. I yeah,
2: think. exactly. I think it's a dangerous world, the world of modular synthesis. And I know some people who have opened that door and never come
1: out of the room. <laughs> I need, I need simplicity.
2: Yeah, me too. Me too. It, it like I, I kind of have a mini panic attack when I look at that stuff. Um, yeah. and I just think, fine, if you, if you can make a cool sound and it's interesting knock yourself out but please don't ask me to to try and use it
1: yeah that's getting in the way of my creativity it's just yeah too
2: much 100% stereotype. 100% <laughs> i get that it's really fun it's a really fun thing to do and it you know it's a toy isn't it really it's a yeah. really fun toy but i don't i don't understand it i've got a juno 60 yeah, yeah. um and that's pretty much as far as i've got with understanding synthesizers yeah and it's perfect for me. I know what it does. I understand the way it's laid out. Um, and if it gets much more advanced than that, then I like, like you said, I start. To, it gets, it gets in the way of my creat- creativity. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I guess it'd be di- dangerous in a recording scenario to start trying to play with such things, and it can distract from that pro- process when you're actually just trying to be creative and get the final product done. So.
2: But that's why it's also really good to have other people with you who do understand it and yeah. that's their forte and they're really excited to just start playing with it and I like, don't think like anyone Pete,
1: understands. I think they pretend to understand <laughs> something random comes out and they're pleased about it.
2: Well yeah, I mean that's that's you know that's pretty valid though, isn't it, in itself. Yeah. Something good, if something good comes out of the output at the other yeah. end, then you kind of you've ticked the box. You've, you've got yeah. yeah. But um like Pete from Teleman, who I often make music with He's quite different from me. Like he'll see something he doesn't understand, and immediately just start putting his hands all over it, moving, and then he'll work it out and he'll put it all together and start making some cool sounds. Um, and that's uh, that's why it's really good to be in the studio with him. Yeah. Uh, he he's got like a different approach to me, but yeah, increasingly, like I said earlier, I I, I crave simplicity. And I crave things that I know because it's all about workflow and mm. I want to get the ideas in really quickly and as soon as I get stuck with, with an instrument or a sound um, you can lose that that kind of really precious flow that you had.
1: Yeah, definitely. A few things can spoil that, can't they? I find sometimes being too anal about takes can stop the creative process. You're like, oh, it's not quite good enough, it's it, yeah I yeah like demoing and sometimes even recording just kind of it's, it's it might not be perfect yet, but it could be it could actually be perfect. Let's just leave it for a minute and move on to the next thing, and we can always come back if needs be and
2: yeah, that's a very I dangerous think. mentality, I think
1: what do you think
2: well, looking for perfection is is uh, oh, yeah. is is never going to get you anywhere because no. I mean what is perfection? I think one person's perfection is quite different uh, to the next person. Yeah. Because for one person, a perfect take will be full of feeling and just like, you know, it will be everything they're looking for. It'll have like, it'll have like uh, originality. I mean, like imagine it's a vocal take. It'll have like yeah. originality. It'll have flair and it'll have f- all the feeling. But like to maybe an engineer or a producer. It might, the timing might be slightly wrong or like it might be a little bit pitchy. Um, yeah. But that's and which one of those is perfect? It, yeah. Like yeah. Ne- maybe neither of them is perfect. Uh, it depends where you're coming from, but. Yeah, true. Perf- like the thing, the further you go down trying to look for, per- for perfection, it kind of ends up getting more, more boring. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You kind, of, kind of
1: feel yeah. the humanity out of it. You like, must hmm. have
0: just do it on a computer, with a computer, but rather than the, the personality comes from the little imperfections
2: yeah and that's something like i have to tell myself that on on an almost daily basis and it's so true and i i I say it to myself i say it to other people but um it's easy to forget
1: it requires bravery to to do it i think absolutely
2: yeah i mean all of the songs that i love and all of the vocal performances and the singers that i love Are just far from what you would conventionally call perfect you know all these little mistakes you hear in recordings are very precious I think Mm -hmm. and they kind of make the recordings what they are and it's it's the the kind of it's the humanity in them yeah we've got to like that's gold really isn't it yep
0: yeah
2: you can't you can't kind of put them in deliberately (laughs) they have (laughs) uh, I think that's cynical and people will see through it but like when they do happen, you get that, like, sp- those special little things that happen I really used to enjoy listening to Jimi Hendrix recordings and what I really liked about them is when like when the bass guitarist hit a certain note, the snare drum would just vibrate. (laughs) And I I think like a lot of engineers would, you know, that's like anathema to them, isn't it? They would be okay, let's isolate that. (laughs) We need to get that bass cab in another room. But like, it's just like that feeling of them all playing together and making some really wrong noises is, is amazing. Excitement. It's just yeah. so full of life and you, it's yeah. almost like you're in the room with them. Yeah,
0: so. Do you struggle sometimes then if you've done a really good demo then going, when you go into a studio to do a, the full recording to actually feel that you can get the personality from the demo into the final recording?
2: Yeah, often. I think it's something I'm, getting better at. Um, I used to worry about vocals and just want to do takes and takes and takes and then comp them together and then do the comp again because and wasn't happy with it. But I just, I've, I, in the last couple of records we've made, uh, I've definitely let that go quite a lot and just been like, does it feel good? Yes. Okay. Let's just stick with it.
1: Do you ever use like stems from your demos. I'm yeah, all the yeah, all the time. Yeah. All the time. That's the excitement part as well. I like trying to recreate the sounds or the feeling of that kind of um, the creativity happening as it happens. I think you can feel that from the demos. It's really hard to recreate that kind of energy.
2: It's interesting when you go into a new studio with someone who you haven't worked with before and you bring elements um external elements into the session i think it adds it adds something that that would never have been there otherwise because i think lots of producers they kind of um you know n- not in a bad way but they they have their go-to instruments and their go-to sounds and yeah. their go-to methods it can get a bit sa- kind of samey so if someone brings in something really unexpected from a s- like it could be a soft synth or something, mm. then it just adds a brand new flavour. I like kind of vocals that are recorded at home as well. They're often quite quite nice to add into a session.
1: Because you're relaxed and you can yeah. take oh, you want to take your time.
2: Yeah. Yes. It's just it's funny, isn't it? When when there's not like an expensive mic in front of you and someone listening and It's in super hi-fi detail and you can hear every little mistake. Like when there's not that situation and not that pressure, it's really funny. Like the vocals, the 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 way I'll sing my vocals is very different. It's just got a sort of really carefree feel to it. A bit more
1: effortless I imagine.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then you kind of like, well, why doesn't this sound? Why does it have that feel that I had in the in the demo? And then you get that that awful that scenario where you you have demoitis and you're just chasing it and you're chasing it. Then everyone else in the room is getting pissed off because <laughs> you know, you're like, let's just get this song done. What's this guy talking about? I think if you're the person who made the demo, you, you know, it can be a problem when you get too precious about it.
0: saying you're writing stuff at the moment is that for teleman or solo stuff
2: both actually I mean I um, I work in in a strange way well, maybe it's not strange but I kind of I write lots of music and it kind of goes through a funnel where it gets divided up into kind of categories which I would say, like, well, this is a Teleman song, potentially. Um, Or this is, like, a song for me to do as a a solo artist, probably. And then there'll be a third category, which is, I don't know what this is, but, like, it doesn't feel like a Teleman song or a Tom Sinner song. Maybe I'll just put that in a folder somewhere and see what happens. But then, like, the more I do this process, the more I realize that um, they're all just songs and... Maybe maybe these songs that don't sound like Teleman songs actually could be, and probably should be, because uh, when you start well, yeah, when I start kind of thinking that a Teleman song should sound a certain way, uh, I guess that's kind of painting yourself into a corner, isn't it, and mm. kind of restricting the potential of, of what you could do. So I can't remember what your question was.
0: <laughs> I was asking um, whether you're working on Teleman or solo stuff. But and oh, then yeah. of course, yeah, yeah, I was going yeah, to yeah. go on to ask, you know, how do you, how do you think, oh, this is a Teleman song or this is a solo song or is it?
2: Okay, yeah. So I guess like most of the time I'm just working on stuff. Yeah. And I'm just writing songs and then I'll play them to people. And, you know, if, if, if the rest of the guys in the band really like it, and if, uh, if the label like it, then it probably will end up being a Teleman song.
3: When I was the king of my own world I thought I could take anything but full plastic soul Until you shook me from dreaming Most of the time I don't really think about it It's hard to find And now just laugh about it quantum kind of leap And where are now? One better part I was kind
2: of, like I said, I was kind of like trying to filter them myself and put them into these categories, and one of the one of the results of that was that I made a solo record, which was really downbeat. I was re- I liked it, I was happy with it, but it was it was kind of like I was picking songs that, and basically saying, oh, this can't really be a Teleman song because it's it's too slow, it's too minimal, it's it's uh, you know it won't be good live. Um, and so they they all kind of ended up as as being my solo record, and I think that was potentially potentially a mistake because it was too downbeat, the record.
1: Hmm.
2: So I'm going to make another solo record, I think, and make sure I remedy that. And uh...
0: <laughs> It was a good album, though.
2: Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bangers. I mean, they don't have to be like bangers in the sense that they're like you throw everything at it production wise. But it's, it's more of a BPM thing, isn't yeah. it? And, a, and just a general vibe thing. I think you can have a banger that's just a couple of instruments in a simple vocal.
0: It's like you've already said already, isn't it? Sometimes it's the most simple ideas are the, are the best.
3: It's crazy we became two countries at war Waving a flag but my head's on the floor Such a lot of words to say this really hurts, but we still share Syria.
0: So, yeah, so I guess that when we first started talking about this, uh, lining up this interview for the podcast, you were about to go off on tour at the end of 2021. Um, Oh, yeah. How was that? I guess the first tour for a while with lockdowns and. and
2: Yeah, it was good. I think there was lots of kind of pent up energy, like emotional energy um, from not having been, being able to go on the road for such a long time. And I guess we felt that. And I I think the audience felt it as well. Um, And it was, I don't know if that's what like made the tour so good, um, but it was a really good tour and we really, uh, We all the shows. There wasn't like there wasn't a bad show. They were all really good. Great audience response and yeah. I I, there was also like I mean the flip side to that was I I found it very difficult. The the actual process of touring, I found it really hard on that particular tour. Uh, I wasn't sleeping. I I was kind of had really bad anxiety. So it's just kind of strange paradox and I'm having a great time cuz the shows are going really well and it feels really good to to, to be on tour again cuz when you play music live that kind of it gives a meaning to everything else everything else you're doing everything kind of it feels like you're kind of shining a light on on this album or the, or body works or the songs that you've been writing over the years um you connect with people in a very real way and it kind of it just makes Everything kind of makes sense when you play your songs live yeah um but yeah while whilst I was experiencing that feeling of happiness because of that i was I was also feeling um really anxious and uh, just struggling really um from lack of sleep uh, and that makes uh that makes things really difficult when you're on tour, but um yeah.
1: Like you've got got a lot of people around in close proximity and you don't want to feel like you're being a, you know, a downer in the room or anything like that. Absolutely. That's That's really,
2: that is, yeah, that's, I mean, I'm glad you said that because that is exactly what it feels like. You know, Mm. when you get in, you get in the bus in the morning and you feel like absolute shit, but you don't want to like.
1: You don't want to feel like a cloud.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Because it can be quite contagious, can't it? Yeah. I just said to people, "Look, guys, I just told them what was going on. I said, am 'I'm, I'm not feeling great these days. So, you know, it's nothing personal. It's nothing to do with, you know, anything. So, uh, I'm happy to be here on the tour. I'm just, just give me, a, give me, have some patience." <laughs> and uh, yeah,
1: the lack of sleep just can really put you in a yeah, funk, can't it? Yeah, it can really. And then that as a that just becomes vicious in a vicious cycle because you're, you're anxious because you're not sleeping and you're sleeping because you're yeah, anxious yeah it's
2: strange isn't it the human it's body all really Yeah, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution and it's still like <laughs> hasn't worked that one out it's like no I, I need I need <laughs> to sleep I really need to sleep um, so if you could just allow me to sleep dear body then we can <laughs> yeah. kind of break this cycle all felt a bit much really. And I can't I can't really say why, because I, I was really excited to do the tour. I was really looking forward to it. And um, but when we started doing it, I, I don't know, just
1: how was it seeing
2: crowds of people? Um it was pretty weird, actually, but it was when you feel that like that kind of uh that buzzing feeling of, of a, like a hot room full of hot bodies all pressed up, waiting for something to happen. It's it's like it's really amazing. It's like yeah. yeah, it's hard to put into words, but it's it's a very powerful feeling, and I understand how people can get quite addicted to that. Yeah, it feels like a st- kind of really strong connection as well. It kind of feels really reciprocal between audience and and whoever's mm-hmm. performing.
0: And I guess you've gone from, you know, at the beginning of this, you described your studio or your, you know, your writing room or studio, and it was very much about light, nice view, calm, your own space. Whereas, you know, not, e- even ignoring the fact of kind of lockdowns and isolation and, and a lot of time on our own, I guess, to a large degree over the last, few, uh, last year or so. But then to go from that kind of your own um, environment that you've created out into a touring environment when it's difficult to have time on your own, you're crammed into a tour van or whatever, and it is one place to another sleeping somewhere different. You're not, you're not in control of that environment every night, are you? So it is a big shock. I think it's a big, big difference.
2: Yeah, it's, it's going from one extreme to the other, isn't it? Yeah. Um, a room full of people who you don't know. And uh, I think as a performer, I always fall into the trap of giving myself a really hard time because i feel like all these people expect something from me and i have to i have to deliver it and i have to do it perfectly and i have to make sure everyone in this room has a really good time and if they don't then it's my fault and i think i think like that fucks with my head <laughs> and that makes that kind of pushes me into a, a, an area of anxiety and it's kind of i feel like it's too much too much of a burden to carry sometimes because uh i'm not like naturally i'm not that kind of person like i've never i've never once in my life said put your hands in the air um <laughs> i'm more like <laughs> i'd much rather just play the songs as well as i can um instead of like having to do all the other stuff
0: get um, your lighters out yeah
1: <laughs> yeah who's yeah. having a good time You're talking about an entertainer as well as a musician don't you
2: yeah exactly I mean, I'm categorically not an entertainer, but like, on paper, I am an entertainer. Um, but it's yeah, it's always it's always been a tricky yeah. one for me actually. And previously, I've had people, whether it's managers or bandmates, saying, you know, you need to whip up the audience more. You need to do more. You need, and I, that that really affected me actually. And I had to, I tried it for a while, and I was like, this, this isn't me. I can't. I'm not that kind of person and it feels disingenuous yeah. and it's making me nervous and conflicted and I just want to play the songs. So now I think these people have paid to see you because they like the music. Yeah. And that's enough. And you know like, do something honest on stage, just be honest and and do what feels natural to you and, and that's enough.
3: Stay-
1: everyone in the band right? Uh, Yeah, they do. I
2: mean, Hero has actually done a couple of his solo records, much more electronic leaning, really nice, really beautiful records. And Pete has also released some of his own stuff. We've collaborated on some Teleman songs, but generally speaking, I write most of the songs. Uh, I'd say I write the songs for Teleman and Pete and Hero make important important contributions as we go along, kind of helping them become what they are really.
1: Yeah.
2: We've never really written together, like starting from scratch, like let's get in a room with three people and try and write a song. That's not really the way we work. I personally find that quite difficult. As as the years go by, I kind of I am more open to the idea of doing it more just more just for a change, because yeah. it can get quite sort of I guess I want to use the word lonely. Like sometimes writing on your own all the time can be lonely. It's difficult because I am a bit of a, of a control freak and I kind of understand my needs when I'm writing. And like one of those needs is to have all of the time I need to think about something, which might be like three hours just to, mm. just to think about a tiny section. And that's difficult when you're writing with someone else who probably would want to like move that pr- move that process on a bit quicker um, f- for better or worse it doesn't really matter whether that's the right thing to do or not like I just that's that's my writing process is that I I won't
1: be rushed <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah um, are you are you demoing as you're writing is that the usual case that like you put something down yeah build as well? yeah
2: in fact I tend to like I tend to start the demo way before like way before the song is anywhere near finished. Um, so you'll create some music and then
1: start writing a song?
2: Yeah, it depends. I mean, I, I often I'll have a, a, like a loose sketch on my iPhone, which I recorded on the voice memos, and then I'll listen back to it and throw up like a really simple drum beat. And then I'll just get one microphone and I'll play along with my guitar, acoustic guitar and vocal, and just go round and round in a loop, really. And then I'll start copying and looping sections. That's one way I'll do it. I'll, another way is like, I'll have, I, I often start with drum beats. Uh, that's something I've been doing recently. I'll make a drum beat, which I really like. And then uh, that'll be my sort of springboard for the song. Yeah. Um I don't have like a fixed process, actually, which is which is nice. Sometimes I'll just put my hands in the piano and play a chord or two chords, and I'll be like, "Oh, that sounds really nice." Yeah. I mean, that must uh, these are like ways that everyone writes. These are really the, these are all of the classic ways. But I mean, we we've got a song called "Fall in Time," which just has these four piano notes. Do, do, do,
3: do, 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 do.
2: And that's like, that's pretty much the whole song. It just keeps repeating these notes. It's quite a dark, not sinister, but it's quite a dark sort of edgy vibe. And that was a song, you know, I don't want to kind of diminish my own songwriting skills, but like that's a song where I literally was really not in the mood for writing a song, but I was like, well, I'm here, this is what I do. And I put my hand in the piano and just play those four notes. And I was like, I really like those four <laughs> notes. I, that was not—I I had no intention to play those notes. There's just where my f- that's just where my fingers landed. And um, yeah, that, I just put that on loop and just listened to it again and again. And then I put a drum beat on it, and I was like, oh, this sounds so dark and wrong and nice. And uh, <laughs> that turned into a song. And sometimes that's the way it works, you know. I think that's—you just kind of get lucky. But then. That's. The, I think the nature of writing songs is that sometimes it comes from like skill and hard work and agonising um, over ideas, and other times you just like stumble across something really cool, and that's yeah. Yeah. equally equally valid yeah. as a songwriter. Yeah.
1: Seen Get Back yet, The Beatles doc?
2: Oh my god. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of plumb in the middle of watching it.
1: And uh yeah, have you, have you got to uh McCartney Wright's get back?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's amazing that part, isn't it's it? It's one of the best things I've seen. I'm 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 a big Beatles fan, and I have been ever since I was a kid, because in our house there was not very much music, but my one of the records my dad had was Abbey Road. I listened to that vinyl so much I just destroyed it it was covered in scratches and the the, the sleeve was all disintegrating yeah I listened to it so much and um, I think like a lot of people I know don't like them because I think that they're kind of the whole sort of Yellow Submarine, She Loves You these kind of, kind of light hearted yeah. songs I think a lot of people don't take them seriously for that reason which is kind of understandable but yeah i um they hold a, a very dear place in my heart, and that documentary was a really beautiful piece of piece of film it's yeah um it's been uh, apparently it was like painstakingly restored. it didn't look that good, but it's been yeah, like, it does look great It looks as well, amazing so. it looks like it was filmed yesterday and it's lovely to see like because we're seeing like these are some of my favorite songs, and you're seeing them being written in real time. You know, yeah. Paul's like trying out different lyrics and and bouncing ideas for each other.
1: It made me feel like I was watching a kid trying to ride a bike because I know the song and I'm like, "Come on, you can do yeah. it! <laughs> can get this song out of here! Come on, <laughs> go on, you can do it! You've got, you know it, you can do it." That's so true, isn't it? It's like, yeah. yeah. I was just willing him to just write it, <laughs> yeah, and then just kind of. When he's I like, like, "Jojo it, you- left you his home and." In- it, it's yeah. too, is
2: that in Arizona? <laughs> it's like, yeah. And then George's like, yeah. So, you know, and he's like,
3: oh, Tucson, Arizona.
2: And I was like, yes, yes, Tucson, Arizona. <laughs> Another thing that struck me about watching that was like John Lennon's lyric writing process, I think was it, it was so much of his songs was just nonsense um and I you could hear him um it wasn't like a big part of the documentary, but what like almost incidentally he was speaking to Paul and it, like, he it was kind of like almost under his breath at one point it's like, "I don't know what this song means. I don't know what it's about." He's like he's like "I've got no idea what it's, what this song's about." Mm. And it's almost, um, I think most songwriters probably feel they have to write a song that's definitely about something and ideally something quite important that's going to resonate with people. But to, to kind of throw that out the window and say, I don't know what this song's about, yeah, that's, that's a risky thing to do. And it's an unusual thing to do. Um, but I, I think it's quite liberating. I think that's I think like just, art,
1: isn't it? Like, uh, like sure. visual arts. You could... You could create something on the, on a wall, and you don't know what's coming out of it yet. But something yeah. succinct may come out of it that you can analyse yourself after. Or
2: I always feel, um, I mean, wrongly, but I do always feel a pressure to write lyrics which people will be able to relate to. But it's kind of, I feel like I'm taking a risk if I if I write what I would call nonsense lyrics. Mm which if you look at a song like Come Together, which is one of John Lennon's songs, like a lot of those lyrics don't make sense. And they they were just lyrics he came up with. It's kind of, it's not even wordplay. It's just uh, like a train of thought, just whatever comes into your head. Yeah, Lyrics that feel nice to sing, lyrics that are weird. I did that with um, a song called Glory Hallelujah, which was on our second album. Because someone asked me what it was about, um, and I, I just had to go back to the lyrics and look at them, and then I, I, my answer was, "I don't know what it's about. <laughs> it's it's just like a, a sort of sequence of images that came into my head, and and words that felt good to sing." Yeah. Um,
1: but did that? In so turn, yeah. Did that in turn create a, a mood or an atmosphere? <laughs> Maybe the, the way the words come out is portraying something. I don't, I don't know. I think, like,
2: there is, there is a meaning underneath them, and it's. I mean, this sounds a bit kind of hippie and a bit far out, but I think always subconsciously there's something going on mm. when these words just come out. Because, you know, ostensibly they're just random words, but are they? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Freud would probably say they're definitely not random words. <laughs>
0: I think there's also, I mean, songs can clearly have a meaning or tell a story, but there's also a valid place for people to take their own meaning from what, and I remember listening to someone, uh, and it's one of the things I do have as a bit of a pet hate when you go and see someone that then spends 10 minutes explaining what the song's about and I kind of think well surely your art's going to talk for yourself at times especially when it's you know if okay you know there are times when it's valid and other times when I think it's a bit but you know just let your song talk for itself um but yeah. I, do, I remember listening to someone saying look I don't want to know what the song because it actually it means this to me and that's what I want to take from it and I think it's like again like you said Glover you know a lot of arts you know surely people should be able to see what they want to see in it as much as what they're being told to see from it so yeah you go to a gallery and there's the kind of there's a you know i mean the nicest possible way a splodge of painting and all and then about a, an essay about what this was about actually the art should t- speak for itself to a much larger degree than that i think
2: do you think that's kind of equally applicable to music and visual art or would you say that's more the case in music i think both yeah i definitely agree with you um like with songs, I I certainly will have I'll have, I'll listen to a song and I'll have my own relationship with that song, and my own understanding and I, I kind of like you said I don't want that to be changed by, hearing someone's uh, backstory, uh, about it and and I'm even if even if I'm singing the wrong lyrics, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. those, those would be like that's those are my that's my understanding of it and, well, um, but I've had experiences with art and I'm not, like, big into art or anything, but I've seen paintings that I've I've not particularly liked, but then I've read, like, a little piece of um, information about them and, like, why it was made and how it was made, and it's, like, suddenly, like, something's clicked, and I've been like, oh, my God. Mm.
0: So, Tom, the name of the Mm. podcast is I Wish I Wrote That Song. Which song do you wish you wrote?
2: There are many songs I Wish I Wrote. And uh, for this podcast i I kind of um, probably unlike other people, I chose a song slightly at random, um, and it this definitely isn't the one song that I wish I wrote, but it's uh it's just an example of one song which I kind of saw something in that I really liked and uh wanted to reinterpret it. And that's a song called "House on Fire." By Sia. I don't like to wait too long, to
3: wait too long, wait too long. Bring it out and bring a song, bring it back to me. I feel the pain and it feels good, I know it would. Your heart burns
2: through. I feel the pain and I cry out. I cry out. I, need you. I don't know much of her music, to be honest with you, and she was, uh, recommended to me by someone because we were talking about pop music and how I love pop music. And obviously the music I make is quite heavily pop leaning in places, depending on like which uh, album you're listening to. Yeah, so they mentioned Sia and I said, oh, no, I don't know Sia. So I, um, I looked her up and yeah, the first song I saw of hers was this song called House on Fire and um i liked it i liked it a lot um i really liked the the chorus hook and the kind of the imagery of it although it is very pop it kind of it had a real passion to it and it felt really genuine and i do like her voice a lot i think she's got such a powerful voice and um it's really genuine you know she's she she's not someone who would use Auto Tune. Mm. She's just she's just a, an incredible singer. As soon as I heard it, I was like, "Wow, that's that song's powerful."
1: And There's an intensity to it, isn't there?
2: It's very intense, yeah. yeah. And it's 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 big and it's pop, but it's kind of it doesn't well for me. It didn't leave like a bad taste in the mouth, which a lot of pop music does. So yeah, it's not. I'm not like a massive Sia fan or anything, but um, I I do like I do you know as far as pop singers go i I really respect her and i think i probably should listen to more of her music
0: i really like buttons it's a really good song if you go on the internet and find a version of it i think from 2008 on jules holland's program um it's yeah really cool and just really really cool visuals
2: Kind of, I I had a go at doing my own kind of reimagining of House on Fire, and I don't. I, I always thought there's not much point in doing a cover if if you're going to make it sound like the original. So uh, yeah, I I did kind of a really stripped back version and slowed it right down and uh, and sung it in a much more understated way. I mean, I would never have been able to uh, produce it in that way anyway. Mm. And I don't have those kind of skills. And uh, that's not really my singing style either. So uh yeah, I did it in my own in my own mellow, sort of mellow version
0: of it. Thanks, Tom. Here's Tom with his version of Sia's House on Fire.
3: I don't like to wait too love, wait too love, wait too love. So bring it on, bring it on, strong, bring it, baby. I knew it would Your heart burns slow I feel the pain and I drum, to the beat of the drum yeah, love me until the wars gave in I'm a house on fire, and I want to keep burning. 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 Baby, I'm a house on fire. I want to keep burning. I want to keep burning. I want to keep burning. Baby, I'm a house on fire. I want to keep burning. I want to keep burning. Keep burning, baby. I'm a house on fire. I want to keep burning. I want to keep burning. I want to keep burning. baby I'm a house on fire.
1: Did you take as the meaning from the song
2: um that for me was it felt like a pretty direct not a love song necessarily but certainly a song about a relationship most pop songs are about love or sex yeah. um i'd say like the big majority of them yeah that song seems to be mostly about desire and mm. lust and Possibly unrequited lust. Mm. So it's felt pretty direct. I didn't feel like there was any hidden meanings in that song.
1: I mean when, when someone chooses a song, I like to go and see what other people have interpreted it as. I think one of them found it as an abusive relationship. Oh wow. I don't think physical, but I think like a mentally abused relationship. I it's like I didn't get that from listening to the song or reading the lyrics. Yeah,
2: that's crazy. I wouldn't see. I mean, that's an interesting example. Of what you were saying earlier, Keith, about not knowing like a story behind a song, like I, I would certainly not have read that in the lyrics, but that could have been that could have been the case. Uh, there's um, is it Gwen Stefani who sings? uh I don't know the name of the song, but there's a part in the song where she goes, "This shit is bananas." B a n a n a yes, this <laughs> shit yes. <laughs> Uh, that's like obviously a super fun part of a song (laughs) and there's probably kids yeah there's probably kids all over the world listening on the radio going bananas yeah and dancing around
3: apparently
2: that was um about an abusive relationship where like and when she's saying this shit is bananas it's like this shit is like crazy out of control like what the fuck's going on it's like it's like a song which is uh has a kind of slightly invisible dark undercurrent
1: and uh, just looking at the credits there she she's she writes her stuff doesn't she yeah
2: i believe so yeah I mean, she's definitely she's co written with other people on their projects. Um, I think she's done loads of stuff with many, many different people.
1: Um, Actually, this like, one with Jack Antonoff. Jeanette oh,
2: Guy. I do. Yeah, yeah. He he writes with he writes with Taylor Swift,
1: I think. Yeah, Lana Master. Del Rey, and he's he's a great producer. I subscribe to this thing called Mix with the Masters. It's like about production, songwriting, and mixing. And he's, he does a few of those. And I'm just I watch his videos. And I'm like. That's how I feel about production. That's how I think that. Like, oh.
2: So I'd like to check that out. So that's something you you subscribe to, and then you can you just subscribe to his particular you can channel, be, or you, or is it?
1: No, it's like um an app and like an online thing. You pay a subscription, and you get all the videos. Gotcha. But yeah, it's it's really good, and there's like there's like songwriting with um Alex Capriano's. Is it from, oh yeah, transferred, and he's like he's got a really interesting writing approach and things like that it's
2: yeah i did a writing session with him once with alex and that was very that was very strange because uh he has a like a really polar opposite approach to me Mm. and we we went to his house because we live quite near each other in hackney and i went to his house and we just sat up in the in the attic with an acoustic guitar and ableton and his process was that he he wouldn't start recording or he wouldn't even open the computer until the whole song was written and or every single lyric was written and it was structured and it had an intro and a verse and the chorus and a bridge and middle eight. That was so frustrating to me because, <laughs> mm. like like I said earlier, I, I like to um, I like to to start like recording as soon as I have a kernel of an idea. Mm. Yeah. And I start and get the loops up and the and the beat behind it, and it's just really interesting. He he's got a real sense, a really strong sense of discipline, um, in in that kind of in that respect. But I I don't know. There's it's not like one approach is correct. Um, that just works for him. Um, I don't think I could yeah. ever work like that though.
0: It's but, a, you know, I guess if you're writing a song from start to finish in one session and then recording it, that's fine. But if you're coming up with ideas like you said you know that little kernel of an idea and not recording it there and then many years since I've properly written songs but I you know you can come up with an idea on a guitar or something I come back to it the next day and you might be playing the same notes but it's just the timing the feel and it just sounds very mm. different and I feel so many times I lost songs <laughs> lost ideas from songs because I didn't you know, have the facility at the time, obviously, of pre-mobile phones and smartphones and things, yeah. or whatever. That I'd come back to the next day, and I know I was playing the same. My fingers were in the same places, but it just didn't sound right.
2: Yeah, it's the nuance, isn't it? That like the, the little nuance that was making it. Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier that "Get Back" documentary about the Beatles. There's also um, I've been watching another one uh, called McCartney One, Two, Three, which is Paul McCartney being interviewed by Rick Rubin. Uh-huh. Um,
1: yeah, I've seen those. It's yeah,
2: good. it's really good. It's kind of fairly short episodes and each episode talks about one or two songs and they, they kind of listen to the multi-tracks and they solo bits. But I mean, the, the part I really like about it is is Paul just going off on these kind of random stories. He like, suddenly remembers something about that recording session and there's those little bits of history, uh, really interesting, these little insights. But one thing he said was that the song, the Beatles songs, were so catchy because they had to be because they wouldn't remember them otherwise. <laughs> the, the only way they'd remember them the next day, you know, if they're on tour or something, or or if they're out in Hamburg, the only way they would remember them is for it to be like very memorable. <laughs> and if it wasn't very memorable, yeah. they'd forget it, and it wouldn't it wouldn't make a cut as a song. So that's uh, there's a songwriting. Hack
1: there. <laughs> yeah, that is interesting. Yeah, just yeah, make make it it catch, in, catch it. You won't forget it.
0: <laughs> Thanks very much, Tom. It's been really good.
1: Thanks for having me. I
2: enjoyed it. I'm Tom Sanders, and you've been listening to my episode of I Wish I Wrote That Song, featuring House on Fire by Seer. The hosts were Keith Wyatt and David Glover. If you'd enjoyed this episode, please leave a review with your podcast provider share it with your friends and shout about it generally please keep your eyes and ears peeled for future episodes thanks for listening